You walk into a shrine sometimes and it gives you like a stick and icicle and just some guy screaming at you and you're like, it's like, get to the other side of the, the room. <laughs> make ice cream to make those guys stop crying. Welcome to Video Game Podtimism. It's the Optimist Video Game Variety Show where two best friends really just talk about Zelda for a while. Uh, I'm Chase. I'm David. Chase skipped the cold hey. o- cold intro to go straight into Zelda because I guess he's got some things to say. <laughs> Man. It, there's just so much of it. I, I was listening to Press Start, the podcast recently, and uh, I think Noah had said that, listen, we're about to become every other video game podcast. And I agree. We are also about to become every other video game podcast. It's just going to be Tears of the Kingdom for a second here. Yeah, exactly. What, you mean the $70 DLC, Chase? What? What? So some people are calling it. Oh, wow. Just had to fight back against the negativity. Who's calling it that? Just some have nasty pl- boys on the internet. Have they played the game? I, I don't think so. Hey, you, you see this Godfather 2 bullshit? I know what De Niro looks like. Why are they putting another one of these out? <laughs> it's the same De Niro in this one. It's still in the mob. What the fuck it's is this? It's still the same mob. It's still the same New York City. <laughs> I wanted new New York City in the Godfather 2. <laughs> or at least make this? it look a little more different. <laughs> Why isn't the Godfather 2 running at 60 frames a second on my Nintendo Switch? <laughs> Who is this guy? This is a weird guy. He's a weird man. He's a weird man. An angry man, truly. Uh, I guess if anybody's new here, usually we go back and forth and talk about the games that we're, we're playing and then we do another thing. But I, I think we're just going to go ahead and dive on into Tears of the Kingdom for a little bit. The new yeah. Zelda game. Mm-hmm. It is here. Do you want to start or do you, do you want me to start? Um, you look so excited. I'm going to let you start. Let me see. I would love uh, once I'll, I'll kick it back over to you in just a second here, but like, I'd love to talk about like what your, I guess, history is with the game series. Hmm. I think it informs the conversation about this a little bit just because like Zelda is such a big series. Sure. I actually, yeah. Why don't, why don't we start there? Are you a Zelda guy? Do you like a Zelda? I mean, yeah, I, I, I definitely love a Zelda game. Yeah. I started with Ocarina of Time. I think that's a common answer for like people of our age. Yeah. Yeah, that was my that was my first Zelda game. So I really only yeah. knew the 3D ones for quite mm-hmm. some time. And then I guess I think I played A Link Between Worlds for the 3DS and that one ripped. So I was like, I yeah. got to go back and play some of these other 2D Zelda games um, and then played A Link to the Past. Mm-hmm. I think we played that one together, if I remember correctly. I think we did too at, at yeah. some point on, on Veil. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think I've ever played the original, original. It's... But, um. I, I, it's, it's okay. <laughs> I'm honestly not crazy about it. Like I've played mm-hmm. that one a fair bit and I'm like, I, I think it's good. And it like is so fundamental to the other games that like, it would be as if you're like listening to a band that you loves like first jam session and you're like, yeah. wow, they really had it here. I'm looking at the, at the skeleton of Zelda. Yes. That they nailed. Like they, yeah. they really got it. And not only that, like you see some of that design in breath of the wild, the like you can go and do whatever now. Mm-hmm. which is really amazing but i like i would be hard pressed to say that's like up there even like near the top four or five for me like i think there's a lot other one of 
other ones that do it a lot better. Sure. But yeah, I think since Ocarina of Time, I've played pretty much every mainline Zelda game except for Skyward Sword. I have not played Skyward Sword. It's that one's so interesting. It's I, I it's like honestly kind of worth a worth a look, especially on the like re-release that they did on but the they, Switch. They re-released it on Switch, didn't they? Yeah, it makes it significantly more playable than it was on the Wii, at least for my money. Yeah. I had kind of a hard time with the like Wii Motion Plus stuff. I didn't find it like horribly responsive in the way that I wanted it to be. Uh-huh. I know that people do like that one. So like I'm not I'm definitely not writing that off wholesale, but I found it infinitely more enjoyable on the Switch. Do you have to use the motion controls or do they add regular controls to it? They you can play with like the Joy-Cons, um not not motion controlled. Mm-hmm. They, you can like sort of control the sword with the right stick. It's like not the best right like sure they're trying to put motion controls onto an analog stick which is challenging but it's not it's not bad i wouldn't call it bad at all okay did when breath of the wild came out was that like as as big of a shift for you as it was for the rest of games people yeah i was in grad school at the time which was probably yeah. the time in my life i'd played the least amount of games because i was just yeah. busy all the time yeah so it was not on my radar as much as it was like if it had come out you know now yeah. When I really have my ear to the ground with games. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I heard all sorts of great things about it. Yeah. Um, and then when I played it, it was like, whoa, this is <laughs> incredible. It's, it was one of those games where I was playing it and having a really good time with it. But then once I was done with it, I kind of looked back and realized just like what an amazing experience that was and how fresh yeah. and unique and, ama- and great it felt to play an open world game that wasn't just constantly pinging me to places or filling me up with like unnecessary side quests and giving me the the map anxiety of yeah you know so many icons and everything like that where it just lets you look at the map just look at the mm-hmm. map and just go and find places that look cool maybe there's a there's a place yeah. that, that that's a that's a heart-shaped lake go there and there's a little quest mm-hmm. and it just felt so organic and interesting and and like a breath of fresh air <laughs> for the genre if you'll yeah. excuse me uh with my with my pun there um but no i mean i i, I mean i think we've talked about it before on this pod but i think that's yeah. probably one of the the better games just like period one yeah. of the better games honestly yeah yeah it's it's so it uh, i i mean like you know people have talked about this game for seven years now so um <laughs> it's not oh, i guess six but six, still yeah. it I, I don't think i'm gonna have any sort of like new thoughts about it but i agree no. that it was like sort of a a, a title shift for what I come to expect from these kind of games. And I'd like, I, I think there have been cases on the margins where games have kind of approached that level of game design with the big glowing exception of Elden Ring. Yeah. I don't know that a lot of people have really nailed what that game does. Yeah. A lot of games have gliders and a lot of games have that kind of watercolor art style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The glider was the thing that, that made its way into gaming yeah like that's a that's a big deal now like a lot of games have that and i i'm i'm glad to see that it is making its way outside of the games that are kind of just zelda games and you know it into a more significant uh, number of games that like utilize it in a smart way i'm thinking most of like chia uh that game that came out a little like a month or two ago mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but uh I, I yeah i i don't know that there's been a lot of other games that have like totally nailed this and i like i think it is a testament to probably just how fucking hard it is to make a game like this that there have only been so few of them that one of the two of the best game companies that are currently making video games are the ones who have been able to do this right <laughs> like, yeah yeah. It's it's so hard to do this. Um mm-hmm. and I'm also not really surprised that game companies aren't chomping at the bit to be like let's make this huge big risk investment mm-hmm. in a thing that we're not necessarily convinced we're going to nail. Yeah. 
like I, it's totally smart for Nintendo to be like, yes, we're going to put out a sequel to this. Cause like they've done it. They kind of have, they, they have learned a lot of lessons in that experience. And I bet that there's a lot of like takeaways of do this, don't do that, or be careful when you're doing this or anything like that. Yeah. They've done it and it still feels fresh. Cause not pretty much no one else has really done it the way that they did it besides Elden Ring. Yeah. I think that's kind of what I was building up to is like it, this, this is still feeling shockingly novel, um, mm-hmm. which is, is, is a, not the experience I expected to have with this. Just to like back up a second, I uh, also I think my first like earnest attempt at a Zelda game was Ocarina of Time, mm-hmm. and then played Majora's Mask. Was really into Wind Waker. I loved. I really really like and liked Wind Waker. Yeah, I think they they have such a good vibe. I really love the soundtrack in that game. Oh, that's um, good. Dra- Dragon Roost Island specifically is just a total bop. Yeah, and uh, I also really, really like Link to the Past, the one for SNES. Mm-hmm. I think that one has held up like incredibly well. It is still so, so yeah. good. But also, definitely uh, speaks to the architecture that you see in Ocarina of Time and you see in Twilight Princess and even Skyward Sword, where it's a little bit more directed than the original was. So I, I was also like kind of taken off guard when Breath of the Wild came out because I think like the marketing around it. I was like, I don't know if I need that, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the the cave painting or cave shadows metaphor or whatever, right? Like, sure. You you don't know what you've been experiencing the whole time. Like, I was uh, I always kind of got burnt out on open world games after playing them for a certain amount of time because like I I am not the one motivated to do the things. I'm just kind of following waypoints and like, you know, experiencing the story every now and then. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh what ended up being Breath of the Wild's approach was like you can do whatever the fuck you want to. It's just out there. The world is out there and you can mm-hmm. go do it, which is amazing. It is. It reminded me of like the first time that, I don't know, you, you know, you've been in school for years and years and years, or at least this was my experience of, mm-hmm. I didn't really love school for a while or didn't love learning because it was like, this is just a thing that's expected of you. And it's like the first time you run into something where you're like, oh, I really want to like learn more about this or like sure. dig into this or do this for myself because it is intrinsic rather than like external coming at you like telling you yeah you gotta go do this or whatever so uh yeah i i obviously am in the camp of loving the first one and this one is also very good yeah (laughs) it it's kind of unassuming like Mm -hmm. i I fired this up and i was like listen like i'm having a great time the first like hour or so i was like i can't believe like i'm i'm back again Mm -hmm. in this area and like that they're making me excited to be in here but there was a few moments where i was like this is kind of the same stuff right like it's it looks kind of similar the the tone isn't dramatically different they're definitely doing more story stuff which is cool but like i was like yeah like it's more breath of the wild and for a moment i was like i think i'm okay with more breath of the wild Mm-hmm. If that's all this that this is, um, and it like you were saying when you reflected on Breath of the Wild and you realized what it was doing, it like takes me a, a while to look back and be like, oh, that is dramatically different than what they were doing in the first one. Uh-huh. I think the 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 powers are immediately significant and like mm-hmm. dramatically different than the yeah. first ones. Just the verticality it adds. Yes, the the verticality. The I think the yeah with ascend the uh, the creativity that is on display whenever you can like put together like a shitty Honda Civic <laughs> with your powers and stuff like that. <laughs> I mean, you must love this game because you love driving little shitty cars, don't you? I sure do. Man, I try to make a lot of bad cars in this game. <laughs> it's it's shocking. The the powers are on another level. I think that the the story is definitely doing a lot. I think the first one was just such a big shift mechanically that 
they wanted to, or at least it felt like to me that they wanted to focus on that as like, this is the thing with this mm-hmm. game. The story is like there, but that was never really the, the, the big thing for me when I was playing it. Whereas I think that they're pushing a little bit harder into like, what's going on? What's happening here? Mm-hmm. There's a little bit more lore. And like, I think that a lot of other Zelda games are concerned with story um, as much as they are kind of like mythical and legendary. Mm. They play out in a way that is not the way that like The Last of Us plays out or even God of War, right? It is played out in a way where if you if you retold it to me, it would probably sound like a myth or something, right? Like, sure. And then I fought a big spider inside of the Deku tree and he told me I have to go on a quest, right? Like it, it's yeah. pretty simple on paper. Mm-hmm. But I think this one's also doing that, which is like, I think it's doing all that stuff really, really, really well. Yeah, your first interaction with the the big bad villain I thought it was pretty cool. Yes. Yeah. And he just like was talking so much shit to you. <laughs> Big shit talker. And it was like very scary. I liked it was, that it yeah. was, it was intimidating in a way. Like they kind of do the Metroid thing with you in the beginning mm-hmm. and like really takes you down a peg of like, you think you're hot shit, but you are not at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and this is yeah. post beating Ganon Link. So he's, he's a, a fully loaded bad boy at that point. <laughs> It's true. Yeah. I also think that like the, the characters and the locations feel a little bit more classically Zelda to me, Hmm. but it's the same locations as the last game, Chase. Some of it. (laughs) (laughs) I I just think that they have built out some of them. Like, uh, Kakariko village is like mostly the same, which is like Mm -hmm. fine. Right. I think for a hidden village that is kind of tucked away from a lot of the like wild shit going on outside of it, that makes sense. Um, but there are other locations that have changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking specifically of Hakano Village. Try not to say any new locales for fear of spoiling it, but uh, sure. There's there's there are changes that have gone on there, and I think the characters are they're leaning into some of the characters being a little bit more goofy. Not that sure. they weren't in the first one, but I think they were. It was just a lot more sparse because they were trying to lean into that tone of like this world has been like changed and altered and like you are way past the apocalypse essentially and there's like just not that many people around but in this one it's kind of like it seems like they've had some time to rebuild and like that there are more people just like living their lives out there which is cool it reminds me a lot of the you know characters in ocarina or majora's of like there's just a weird little guy out there mm-hmm. doing his thing which is great there, there, there is just a lot of goofiness in some of the characters that i really appreciate Sure. They are goofy little people. What else? What, what what are you enjoying so far? I'm enjoying how easy it was to step back into the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like oftentimes with a new Zelda game or like a new it, uh, inter- iteration of a franchise game, it takes mm-hmm. me a second to get used to the characters, the mechanics, the yeah. the game world. And there's always kind of like this feeling of, oh, is this going to be as good as the last one? But with this one, it's just <laughs> like, nope, just step in. It's the same thing or very similar, yeah. I should say. And it's just, it felt like putting on a, a good old pair of pants you know it just felt (laughs) very comforting very right i just knew how this game was going to hug me in all the right places Mm -hmm. so that was that was actually really nice for a zelda game i thought and it just let me focus on what was like the new game mechanics more than anything else because i already knew how to like just traverse the world and control link and and do everything right yeah so i appreciated that i love the verticality the verticality yeah, is great because in the first one, I've always was was wanting a, a, a better way to get higher with my glider so I could really just <laughs> glide for for ages. Yeah. Um, and boy, can you glide in this one? I love the diving. I love hitting a big thing of water and just all the water coming yeah. up and splashing down around you afterwards. Ugh, yeah. Feels good. And I, I, I do love the like, especially in the, the when you first jump off of the Sky Island, the Great Sky Island, you're just mm-hmm. free falling down and you just see so- everything like lighting up beneath you in the world it was so good 
it was just such a good entrance and a good beginning to this game, I thought. Yeah, the actual like title card sequence there was also pretty incredible. Yeah, it's absolutely. Just, it, yeah, they, they do a really good job of like, it's not a flex in the game. They're not flexing on you, but they are like, what's up, dude? Like, mm-hmm. we know we got a fucking amazing game. We're about to like show you all the crazy stuff going on in here. Absolutely. And I do appreciate that there's a little bit more going on with the story this time. There's a little bit of yeah. mystery beyond just go find the, the, the bad guy or the, the captured person and save mm-hmm. them or defeat them. It's like, what, where the, where is Zelda? What's going on with the Master Sword? What's going ha- yeah. to happen? Wait, is she in some like weird light dimension? What is it? What? what, what, what? Just a lot of yeah. what <laughs> being asked right now, which I'm yeah. not used to in a Zelda game. And I th- I feel like it's, 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 it has the feeling of, okay, I, I want to go through like the main quests mm-hmm. um, than just kind of like poking around and seeing what's going on in the, in the world because there is this drive of the narrative now, which is, is, is new for me for a Zelda game personally. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I I do enjoy the the stories in a lot of these Zelda games as like simple as they are. I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying yeah, yeah, that yeah. they're like you said, simple. Yeah, like I think the the narrative impact that a lot of Zelda games have, the ones that I think about that are the most that that hit the hardest are the ones that have some kind of mechanic that is backing them up. Mm. It's usually not just like the story. It's like in Ocarina of Time, the the big time jump is the thing that makes that game hit hard, right? Mm-hmm. The uh, the the day cycle in Majora's Mask is what makes that game hit hard. Sure. And and for um, among other reasons, right? Like that's not the only thing that's working in those games. Or uh, Link to the Past, the uh, the changing between different worlds is incredible. Mm-hmm. The in Twilight Princess, I think a lot of it has has to do with like what's happening with Midna and like mm. what, why Link is turning into a wolf every now and then. Right. And then Wind Waker. I don't know if I want to spoil Wind Waker, but there's a pretty big reveal of like, why water, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And I, I think this one is doing that too, where like the, the process of playing this game feels a lot to me, like unraveling something mechanically. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I, I go from one place to another I see something, something feels mysterious or I get a quest or I see something in the distance. I'm like, what the fuck is that? And then uh, I go explore it and either figure out what's going on or figure out what it was, or I get new information about something that's going to lead me, you know, 10 steps down the road or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I think the story is also doing that where it feels a lot of like, there are a lot of questions in the game up front, especially with like, I'm going to I guess spoil it, a very early character that appears, mm-hmm. especially with Raru showing up. Raru. Who is totally distinct from any like visual design that I've seen in Breath of the Wild so far. Mm-hmm. I don't see other characters like him. And also having played Ocarina of Time and knowing that Raru is like a sage in that game mm. and, you know, Knowing mm-hmm. that, like, I don't think Zelda's always canonically are are connected. I think there's that big chart of like all the different games connected, and like we need Garen. I, I feel like Lore Master yes. Garen for this one. I I feel like Zelda games are oftentimes just kind of riffing off one another rather than being directly inspired by one another mm-hmm. or like directly responding to another game. Yeah, it's just sort of like here are similar characters, here are similar like locations or mm-hmm. like archetypes. I guess like Death Mountain shows up in a lot of the games. Uh, yeah. Or something like that, which is weirdly very Hideo, like to just like have a totally different context for 
a totally different character and then like oh his name is also snake <laughs> you know like um all that sort of stuff it's all snake all the time yeah so like i i really like the the approach that they're taking with storytelling because i don't i don't think that there's going to be some big like reveal i think it is just kind of like the the story is playing out in the same way that these mechanics are of you know unraveling this place uncovering the sort of mystery just by your own like curiosity and tugging at these strings that will lead to something. Mm-hmm. This has been like in a lot of the previews and stuff, but like y- there's some sky stuff going on. You're <laughs> up in the sky pretty often. Um, Hyrule is like slightly different. There, there mm-hmm. are things that have changed, but it's like kind of similar. I saw someone describe it as like you go home and someone's rearranged all your furniture. <laughs> yes. It, it feels kind of similar. And like, because I haven't dug through the, d- the, the depths, of every single piece of Breath of the Wild, going back to it, I was like, I kind of remember this. Like, I remember the bigger places, but not so dramatically that I was like, oh yeah, this is exactly over here and this thing used to be over there. Mm-hmm. So it like, for all intents and purposes, for me, at least feels like very fresh. Yeah. It's been a while since I've been to this Hyrule. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and of course, there is a third area that is uh, horrifying and scary and also <laughs> incredible. It is like my favorite part of this game. Yeah, I wasn't expecting this part. It's fun. Oh my god, no. I feel like we should just like just, just name this thing. There's a third area in the game called the Depths, which is like a area below Hyrule that again, very mysterious. Why the fuck is it there? Mm-hmm. How long has this been here? Why is the gloom seeping out of it? Yes, like what is going on down there? And I think it, the game is just reinforcing both the narrative and the, the the gameplay that it's got going on of like, go look, go explore, go uncover something. Mm-hmm. Not in the way that like L.A. Noir does it, but just like be curious and like go find what something that interests you. I'm imagining Link going around interrogating people. Hot, hot, hot. What are you saying to me, dude? Pia says I used to look like a five-year-old a couple years ago. Doubt. <laughs> Doubt, yes. Doubt. Oh, another thing I really like is the the fast travel system in this game. I feel like is much more refined than in Breath of the Wild. It feels like is it's it? easier to, to fast travel. I don't know. I don't. I don't remember at all. Maybe I just in... refused to fast travel and just rode my horse throughout Breath of the Wild. And that sounds like something I would do. It's possible. I did not use a horse in Breath of the Wild. Not once. I like caught one. and was like that's cool, and then just left him at the the lodging. How did you get around? Just walked. <laughs> That's so, that takes so much longer. I just, I always felt bad when I would get to a new location and promptly just leave the horse there when I crawled up a mountaintop. You, know, you just like, go, you'd, you'd be at this table. It's fine. He finds his yeah, way home. I've, I felt bad. I just walked. It's fine. <laughs> so maybe I was doing a little bit more fast traveling than you were because <laughs> I, I would usually just go pick whatever the highest area was, fast travel there and then glide wherever I needed to go. <laughs> what a way to play that game i feel yeah. bad leaving the horse so i'm just not gonna have one i'll just yeah, use no, my own I legs i don't want to make a digital character feel bad david i mean i i'm i get it you don't have to explain it i understand i'm impressed by your character truly your digital character <laughs> also wanted to say that like the i i am not the dude who has played breath of the wild a hundred times like i i frequently would restart it just to kind of like go hang out in the world mm-hmm. but i i do really think that the Part of what drew me to Breath of the Wild in the first place was I loved it when the game would surprise me with something. Mm -hmm. And it does that all the time, like constantly. Just if you crest over a mountain and you look down in the valley, there's something in there, right? Like that they're they're always surprising you and trying to like not trick you, but make you think a different way whenever you turn down another hallway. 
Um, I think especially in the shrines and the like divine beasts and all that sort of stuff. And so as a consequence, like when I went to go replay those games, it was fun and still like an astoundingly well-made video game. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the surprise wore off for me. And so it made it a little bit harder to replay in a different way than Ocarina of Time does, where like Mm. Ocarina is not leaning on a sense of surprise. It's much more about like going through these dungeons and sort of like beating them. The beats of the game. Yeah. And so like I, I, again, I don't have anything bad to say about the first one, just that that was sort of like when I replayed it, I was like, man, I wish I could replay this without knowing anything about it. And I sure am glad to be playing Tears of King, Tears of the Kingdom now because I don't know anything about this game. Sure. And so like everything is a surprise again. I think this one, especially it really leans into that. Like you walk into a shrine sometimes and it gives you like a stick and icicle and just some guy screaming at you and you're like, <laughs> it's like, get to the other side of the, the room. <laughs> make ice cream to make those guys stop crying. Yes, exactly. It like reminds me of like scribble knots or something sometimes where it's like just such an esoteric challenge. I'm like, how on earth am I supposed to do this? And then two like minutes I'm in a later, Waldorf, Waldorf school. <laughs> Yes, they're trying to teach you trigonometry by being like, what does the man want when he cries? Exactly. Non-traditional way of teaching. Gotta think outside the box. We're burning the box down, baby. That's just (laughs) the the box now. Build a boat and put a jet engine on the back of it. Dude, I love putting engines on anything. Oh my God. Yeah. Like what I I think one of the, the, the bigger like mechanics that this game has is your ability to just like hot glue something together. And it is so much fun. The joy of putting a rock on a stick is incredible. It's so good. (laughs) Also, I love the names that they give some of these fused things. Like if you, if you fuse like a tree branch and a wooden stick together, it's called a thick stick stick. (laughs) It's incredible. I I love that. It's not just like this plus this. It is a new thing that they have made or like long stick, long stick stick. (laughs) Yes. It's hilarious. So good. Um, again, leading into the kind of the goofier nature of this game while still maintaining like a very kind of serious story. It's goofy in very and like the, in the vi- in the video gamey sections of the game. It feels goofy. Yes, yeah. like the mechanical sections is like, hey, just be goofy with it. But in the story mm-hmm. sections is like, this is very serious. Princess <laughs> Zelda is missing. This is not a laughing matter, yeah, sir. Yeah. The gloom is going to kill us all. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it, it's good. I I. I think part of there was always this kind of like creeping anxiety in in my Breath of the Wild playthrough of like the game really feels like I should just be going and saving Zelda like I I shouldn't be out here hunting for Koroks or whatever. Whereas I think the the the, the goofiness of this one is kind of nodding a little bit to like you can you can hang out for a little bit it'll be mm-hmm. okay. And just imagine Zelda getting tortured while you're going around just like yeah yeah. Playing bongo drums with some Koroks in the forest. <laughs> yeah, watching Hakanu, is that the name of the, the guy who will make your inventory bigger? Oh, yeah. Play, like, play just his little tambourines or whatever. His... Exactly, yeah, his maracas. Just <laughs> watching him do that a hundred times. <laughs> I mean, he plays a mean maraca. He sure does, yeah. The, the game has also introduced this, like... Obviously, he'll have like your hearts and your stamina, but this uh, like battery power, essentially. Mm-hmm. That like whenever you're building something and you, you know, attach a a, a, a sail on it or a, a, a fan to make you move, you have like battery power that will deplete and then uh, your your fan will turn off, which I, I think is really fun. Like, A, it, it allows the game to not just like let itself be totally broken immediately by 
making like a sick plane and then just flying into like Ganondorf's head or whatever. <laughs> I actually, I haven't run into Ganondorf. I don't know what the fuck is going on with the big bad. I'm just out mm-hmm. here hanging. The demon king. But yeah, whoever that was, I, I still have no idea yet. But I, I also kind of like that it forces you to like approach certain situations like, all right, I've got two bits of battery and I've got this far to go. Can I make this glider work to get there? Mm-hmm. Or if not, what what do I need to do? Or like, I've got a bunch of different like devices that I could try mm-hmm. to like see how to approach a situation, which is all it's it's just all so good. It, in the same way that the first one was relying on your creativity and your curiosity to go explore the world. I think this one is also doing that with like these puzzles in just like such a big way that I think the first one did a little bit, but just not nearly to this extent at all. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's It's really giving you so many more interesting tools to play with in this sandbox now. Mm-hmm. Like you went to the you went to the to Toys R Us and got a, a whole entire new set in your back. It's gonna be great. Yeah, it's it it's so bizarre. It's it it's kind of like the neon whiteification of the the videos you see on the internet of somebody just totally breaking Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like they they saw that and they're like, what if we just let everybody do that all the time? <laughs> That's just like doing backflips off Lionels while just shooting them a thousand yeah. times with bomb arrows you you place superman and do a 900 off of a lionel and then like <laughs> kick his ass or something and then 99 red balloon starts playing yeah. <laughs> you get in your honda civic and drive away yeah <laughs> it's 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 wild like i i feel like neon white kind of blew my mind a little bit of mm. making me appreciate when games are intentionally trying to kind of break themselves in a way Mm. And like expecting the player, like you should, you should want to break this. Cause I, I, for a long time, I always found it so strange when I would hear of people. And especially when I was trying to like design games, like why would somebody want to break this? Like just play the game yeah. um, as it's intended to be played. And, uh, but you know, I think earlier stuff like portal where the game is kind of like, you, you, you can fuck around on this one. You can mm-hmm. try and break it. Neon white, I, I guess is the most notable one in my head recently where the game is saying like, we want you to try and feel like a speed runner here. Like, Mm. we want to give you that same experience without you actually having to memorize like every single level level in super Nintendo's Aladdin or whatever to do it as fast as you can. Mm -hmm. And I think this game, uh, at least it feels like they are trying to emulate the experience of like, holy shit, I can't believe I built this thing and it worked to do the thing that I wanted it to in, in the way that people were doing in breath of the wild. But it's also like a community of people that know this game so well (laughs) that Mm -hmm. it's like, I don't have access to that. I can't do that. Whereas I can in this one, I, I can definitely build a weird car and drive that into a bad guy and just have him deal with that for a few minutes while I like shoot him with arrows or something. <laughs> it's great. It's so, it's so, so good. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, it adds, it adds so much depth to the gameplay. It adds your imagination to the gameplay, which is awesome. And just yeah, so many different, we- th- so many things are interactable with those new powers. It's just, it, it, it just lets you, it just lets you, lets you do what you want. It's a, it's a lot of fun. It's shocking. Shocking. I can't believe, I can't believe this game exists. Yeah. That this was the route that they decided to go with for the sequel to Breath of the Wild, which is like, let's just make some weird shit. Enter Peter yeah. Quill and just <laughs> do some weird thing. I, I, I feel like that is typical of, of Zelda games follow-ups. Like whenever they hit on something just astounding, they're like, right after that, we're like, well, we should try and fuck this up real good. Like Majora's Mask is such a departure from what Ocarina of Time was, or like uh, Link Between Worlds is such a departure from what Link to the Past is. Mm-hmm. Like being being able to like rent items in Link, uh, Link Between Worlds and like 
the stuff of like going into the walls is so bizarre and like kind of breaks with a lot of the tradition that they were working with. And so I think it's a really good like reaction that they have to say, like, let's just try something very different. And like, like I said, this game isn't dissimilar from, from Breath of the Wild in a lot of ways, but like just the ways that you can break it and, or, you know, quote unquote, break it, uh, shocking. And if you took these powers and put them in the first game, it would be a totally different video game. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. I, I'm I'm blown away by this video game. It's pretty it's pretty great. I'm excited to it's play great. more of it whenever I play it. <laughs> I know that's that's the thing is like every waking moment I'm like man I want to be playing fucking Zelda right now. Pretty good. Um, it was hard. I had to take melatonin to just like put myself to bed last night because <laughs> I was like just thinking about more weird cards you can make. <laughs> I was like there's because I'm playing a switch in my bed and I'm like I'm not gonna go to bed if my body doesn't just like shut off here in a little while. Mm-hmm. Had to had to melatonin it up to just sort of knock myself out and go to sleep um it's it's so good you gotta do it sometimes every side quest is amazing i like i was just trying to get to a village last night that was the thing that i wanted to do and like just a hundred steps on the way there i'm like what's that thing over on that hill i want to go check i know i just get so distracted i'm going i'm going i'm just like (laughs) oh that's interesting over there's the smoke signal yeah there's smoke i mean there's a person over there gotta go see what's up and then uh, like, a, like a normal person, I hop on my horse and ride over there, Chase. Yeah, sure. No, I just have, I walk I walk with my, my feet. No, I know you'd make um, your weird little car and head over there. <laughs> I, I so regularly will just like drive off a cliff with those things that I've tried to restrict myself to not just make a bad car and drive. Yeah, there is definitely a finesse to it. You have to make sure yeah. you got some open road in front of you. Otherwise, yeah, it ain't going to work. Or you get one of the little control units or whatever that you can find every now and then. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Then you're like, I am speed. Ka-chow, baby. <laughs> or the, the other alternative to uh, me getting lost is finding another entrance to the depths and then going down there, seeing what's going on in spooky town. I, I, I need to reiterate how fucking What's scary. going on down is Book Town. <laughs> the sequel to the Monster Mash. <laughs> I, I need to reiterate just how scary the depths are. Mm-hmm. Like, it is pretty scary the first couple times you go down in there. They do such a good job of communicating. Like, it is pitch black in here. You cannot see anything. Yeah. Yeah, you need to use a lot of resources to get around through here. Mm-hmm. I all like I was also I mean like it's the underneath Hyrule, right? But I was shocked the first couple times that I like found essentially the like towers underneath there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Oh, I bet I've made a lot of progress. I bet I've gone really far because I've like connected two of two or three of them uh-huh. and like sort of zoomed the map out and I have gone absolutely fucking nowhere. Like it's just it is expansive down there. Is it the whole map? It's not the whole map. I have it? to assume so. Like that's it, it, huge. Then. It's gigantic. It's it's gigantic. Like again, I spent an hour or two in there last night, and I got like nowhere. <laughs> it's so big. Yeah, which I I think is such a good idea. It reminds me so much of like the uh, the like underground area of both Elden Ring and Skyrim. Mm-hmm. Both Bloodborne. of those uh, Bloodborne, true. The yeah, Chalice dungeons. Yes. Yeah. It it just kind of goes on down there. It's amazing. That trick has not worn off. No, and I like that the the mechanic of if you touch the gloom or the gloom inflicted inflicted enemies touch you, you lose the ability to heal some hearts so there is this this sense of urgency that you get dangerous down there yeah Yeah. it's dangerous down here and like ooh, i have like one heart left there's still some distance between me and the next 
light pod or whatever it is mm-hmm. that will reheal me and allow me to heal up to full health again. Do yeah. I risk it? Do I risk it for the biscuit? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a, some fun decision making down there too. It's incredible. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm also like obsessed with every now and then you'll come upon like just like structures down there. Yeah. And I, I love the items you find down mm. there because I'm like, some good why rooms. is this here? Yeah. Why is this in here? <laughs> what is, what is this world? What are these creatures? Yeah. These statues? Yeah. It's great. It's incredible. I suspect the next, like, at least few episodes will be us talking about this game. But um, yeah. add me to the list of, of video game podcasters who are fully in the I love this game category. Yeah, we're in it. We're in it to win it. It's a great game. Yeah. It's Breath of the Wild Part 2, which is great. It is. It's a lot it, of yeah, fun. it's very good. <laughs> this this year is nuts. There are so many fucking video games. Our end of the year list is going to be wild this year. I have n- I have no idea how how to structure that. I I think to oh God I don't even know because like for me right now I think Season stands out as one of the best games I've played this year. Mm. The Dead Space remake was incredible. The Resident Evil Four remake was incredible. This game is like I I don't even I I genuinely need new words <laughs> to mm-hmm. describe this game. Like I need to look in a dictionary to be like okay, there's got to be something else in here that can describe yeah. what the fuck is happening in <laughs> in Tears of the Kingdom. <laughs> But like, what, how, how do I compare those games? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's going to be wild. Although I think this year we'll probably, what did we do last year? Seven best games, eight best games. So I think so. Giving ourselves like a little, a little runway to talk about a few of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All that said, they're, they're, we're in May right now. There are still seven months of this shit. There's a hot bit of, of game and <laughs> still to be had. Yeah. Not Silk so, Song though. No. <laughs> Dude, I don't know what is happening with Soul Song. I have no idea what that game is Let them anymore. Cook. Let them yeah. cook. True, yeah. Let them cook for sure. <laughs> Do you have anything else to say about Tears of, the, <laughs> Tears of the Kingdom right now? No, I'm going to be talking about this game so much more, so I got, yeah. I'm going to save it. Cool. Well, I have one one other game that I would love to talk to you a little bit about. Okay. Um, it is Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker. Oh, <laughs> What are you playing that one on? Xbox. I I was happily surprised that um, the Peace Walker HD version is just on the Xbox store. You can just buy it, which is surprising given how unavailable the rest of these games are. Uh huh. Because I I had bought the like HD collection, but I had to do it on a disc because they don't sell it like digitally anymore. Mm. So I I played Metal Gear Solid 3 on an actual disc, but then found that this was just like out there. So uh, I've been playing that. I so. For for our like uh, uh, episode purposes, I was looking at like what games are considered important to the like MGS canon or whatever, uh-huh. and like a lot of people sort of suggest like just playing them in release order, which is what we've been doing so far. And uh, there was some discrepancy between like do you play Metal Gear Solid Four first or Peace Walker first. Mm. And like, there wasn't a clear cut answer with that one. So I was like, all right, like, I don't think I'm ready to dive fully into Metal Gear Solid 4 yet. I kind of want to wait. That's a beefy one. That's a beefy game. Like, there's a lot to digest. And I kind of want to wait until we actually talk about MGS3 in earnest. Um, But I'd also heard that like Peace Walker was like, it came out for the PSP. I think it's, it is not quite as wild of a video game. Um, mm-hmm. so I was like, well, sure, I'll play that a little bit. There was also a question about like if portable ops was even canon or not. And I think that there was some questions around that. Like, mm. 
a couple of YouTube videos I saw were like, Hideo said it's not canon huh. or like a, just weird shit like that. And so I think I'm probably not considering that one that we have to play, but Peace Walker seems like one that is like, yes, this is in, in the series. Anyway, I started playing it. This was also one that I had never played before. Um, yeah. I, I just hadn't picked this up at all. So I was, I was interested in it to, to get a little new MGS content mm-hmm. just at the top let me see. I, I mostly am really, really liking it. I was uh, kind of not expecting it to be as nuts as it is. Like I was like, oh, come on. It's a, it's a PSP game. Like They're not going to be doing all, the, all, all that sort of extra Metal Gear Solid stuff, but they sure mm-hmm. are oh, immediately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's wild. You were, you were playing as Big Boss, and I think it's like, I can't remember the exact time frame between MGS3 and this one, but it's been like many years. Yeah. Uh, I think Big Boss, or just Snake, as they call him in this one, Mm-hmm. He is a little bit more jaded, I think, than he was at the, at the very end of Metal Gear Solid Three. There's some uh, some jading that happens or that begins oh, yeah. to happen, and so in this one, he is much more like kind of bitter towards you know the U.S. government and everything. Mm-hmm. And so the the setup of the story finds him, I think, in Costa Rica, mm-hmm. and there's like, well, maybe I shouldn't spoil it, but the, the, he's between essentially the the Russian and the American government fighting proxy wars in Costa Rica. Fucking MGS, which is dude. Amazing. And proxy so cool. Proxy wars, and, love it. And also like tackling some heavy shit that I was like, this is a PSP game, you guys. You don't need to go this hard, but like, they're, they <laughs> hey, sure are... Up, Kojima. <laughs> They they sure are cooking on on a PSP. Like, yeah, the CIA is coming in here to try and take down this communist government because Russia is also trying to prop it up and shit like that. So just openly acknowledging that the US was like totally fucked up to most of the Southern American countries oh, in yeah. like the seventies, which is a true thing, but oftentimes doesn't really get talked about because like, ooh, yikes. Yeah. But obviously you should. I, I I think that there is a level of coverage that a non-American game creator can have of this stuff with sort of like a, Hey, I didn't get all the uh, hoorah nonsense propaganda that you did. Like I can just call a spade a spade. Mm -hmm. It's a little less difficult to kind of sort that out. Um, which is nice. I really enjoy the perspective of like somebody else who hasn't grown up here and was like, yeah, man, I'm just reading the fucking history and this is what you guys did. It's fucked up. Yeah. Which is amazing. I really, really liked it. So that's really great. It is a very crunchy video game. A lot of mechanics in this game, man real crunchy it Hmm. like it uh is doing a lot of the metal gear solid 3 stuff of like making sure that you have the right camouflage because it will you know camouflage you this percent or whatever Mm -hmm. you're essentially going on these like uh kind of tiny missions where you know the the level isn't super long and you're just essentially supposed to like get to this area over here and capture a guy yeah and so it is it is much more like small mission based rather than sort of the bigger worlds that the you know, one, two, and three have had up to this point. Mm-hmm. I, I think initially I was a little bit like uh, my feathers were ruffled a little by that, but I think they're actually using it really well. I think it does f- like fit this game very well. And you also see that pop back up in Metal Gear Solid five, the kind of like bespoke missions that you're going on mm-hmm. rather than just like one giant world with like one linear kind of path that goes through it. Yeah. Which is really neat. Um, I, I think it's a neat kind of twist on that formula. Mm-hmm. And like they're still doing all the wild MGS story stuff. So like that I'm I'm getting that enough. The I also also say the cutscenes are so cool. Like they're stylized in just this way that it almost looks like you're reading like panels of a comic. Ooh. But uh God, it just looks so good. Uh it is it is such a good way to adapt 
around the PSP's hardware, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're not going to have fully 3D rendered cutscenes, um, or you know you could, but I think it would look not quite as great yeah. on a tiny little screen. But because they're doing this kind of approach where it's it's a lot, it looks a lot more like hand animation and sort of like like I said, panels where there's not a ton of movement. You just kind of like snap into some area and like maybe the background's moving a little or like somebody has like one single pane of motion. But I I think it looks incredible. It's it's so cool to to kind of see what they're doing there. And like you know, David Hater's in it. They got the they got the cast. They got the know? guy. So it doesn't sound like a, a cheap imitation or anything like that. Also, really loving the characters that are in it. They're just like exquisitely metal gear solid everybody in it the the character paz is amazing the you have uh you're hanging out with like master miller from well i guess uh, liquid snake was pretending to be master miller in metal gear solid one but mm-hmm. a character that like i didn't really know very well mm-hmm. um but is he's, is now he's from the very, original originals like the metal gear games right yeah i believe so which like aren't games that i'm horribly familiar with other than like just kind of vaguely knowing the plots but mm-hmm. It's cool to hang out with him a little bit more in earnest. It's nice to see like who who this dude is. And obviously like, you know, I'm loving all the big boss content. It's really great. See him just kind of like shit talk the US government and everything. <laughs> yeah, I this is just a part of the story that I never really sunk my teeth into the uh, change of not idealistic, but inexperienced person at the beginning of Metal Gear Solid three up to the point that you like, you know, fight him in the very first like NES Metal Gears or whatever, where Mm -hmm. like big boss is like a bad guy, you know? So it's, it's interesting to see that transition slowly happening because in this one for, for my money, big boss still seems like he is trying to consider like, I don't want to just like fight to fight, right? We're supposed Mm -hmm. to be doing good here. I don't really want to just like be a bad guy, but I am trying to establish like, you know, I think it's like soldiers without borders, right? Yeah. Uh, an army. Yes. An, an army that doesn't have a country, but is trying to like, not totally like uh, remove conflict, but you know, he's trying to do some good by his measure. Obviously, like, I, I don't think violence is very good in a lot of cases, but mm-hmm. I, it's interesting to see his perspective in this game. It's yeah. cool. Anyway, David, this will bring me to my optimistic thing of the week. Yes. It's playing a game that everybody is also playing at the same time. <laughs> it's the water cooler moment for gamers. <laughs> yeah. This doesn't happen super often. Uh, I, no. I will say, or at least, in, at least in my experience, right? Like we got it last year with Elden Ring, which was amazing. Yeah. Uh, it was like so cool to hear people talking about it and like see the videos of people doing wild shit on the internet. Mm-hmm. But like largely, if you want to talk to somebody who is also playing a game that you're playing. You got, you know, a short list of people to do that with. Yeah. But like everybody playing Zelda right now. Everybody playing Zelda right now. I feel like these watershed gaming moments don't happen as often mm-hmm. as they used to. Because I feel yeah. like big releases like this used to be a little bit more common. Like every Grand Theft Auto, every Halo, they were they yeah. were big things. And now they just come less often, but they're still so much fun when they happen. They're, I think they were also targeted at such a more specific audience, you know? Like sure. I think that because like the audience for games for so long was like teenage boys that mm-hmm. like when a new Mortal Kombat dropped, everybody's like, hell yeah, Mortal Kombat. But because uh, the gaming sphere is bigger and I, I think better because yeah. there are so many more people, it happens less frequently. But ever, like Zelda's fucking universal. Most people like a Zelda game mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or at least are willing to engage with it. I, th- I think it's it was also why Elden Ring was a little surprising last year because there were so many people who were like, yeah, I played Mario when I was a kid and like I fucked around with like, you know, Mario Kart and stuff like that. But I'm in Elden Ring. I'm like, dude, what? Why yeah, that's quite a there? jump. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but a lot of people were like, yeah, it's amazing. It's really good. So it's it's great. I 
also like am aware that I, I feel like sort of like the middle of the 2000s, I was just like not in the right online spaces to talk about games in any serious way. I like wasn't really in the room with like anybody who was like on Twitter very heavily at the time. Uh, like Discord wasn't the big deal that it what that it is for me, at least now. But like, I think since the pandemic, I was like, I need to figure out some people to talk to. So mm-hmm. are, are in a number of discords and like Twitter and shit like that, which is just like amazing to see people playing through this. And like, I, I I read some dude today who like totally sequence broke (laughs) part of uh, Zelda. And I was like, that's incredible. I can't believe somebody just like accidentally, but got to a place that they were not supposed to be yet. Just like, Oh, where am Uh, I? (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, David, do you have uh, something fueling your sense of optimism this week? I do. What is it? It's Anne Orlando from dark Mm -hmm. souls. The location. Mm -hmm. It's just a cool Cool place. It's a cool place. City of the gods. Amazing. Yeah. Awesome architecture. It just looks so so sweet and i love just like i said last week i love good callback Mm -hmm. and this one i I spent so much time in this specific area of dark souls just grinding these these damn knights and and imps and whatever what have you there yeah so i just got to the spot and i just knew it like the back of my hand and i went to go see if that giant blacksmith was still there dead yeah yeah body crumbled up that was sad so sad i put prepare for sadness as a message there didn't get a single (laughs) Like that's I it was uh, sad. kind of surprising. That, was that, sad. that is a little surprising, but yeah, it's just, I don't know if it's just Miyazaki, but whoever is in, in charge of making the lore and just the, the space that these, the fit, yeah. the, the, the digital space that these games take up, man, they are, they are cooking with some, some fucking high, high quality propane gas <laughs> over there from Hank Hill himself. Like yeah. they are, they are getting their money's worth out of that person because yeah. it's just so good it's just so cool yeah no i, I totally agree I, I think most of the the souls games do a good job of like like i was saying they they do great callbacks without it being like you remember this it's just like mm-hmm. it is significant for you to be here there's a yeah. meaningful reason why you are here yeah it's just like hey we're here remember this place you're here again you didn't realize you're yeah. getting here and i also like exactly. that they let you go to Irithiel because whenever i was in Anne orlando in the first one i would look down and be like i want to go down there i want to see mm-hmm. what's what's down below this big bridge yes so yeah. that i know i got to explore the whole place before i got back to Anne orlando it's incredible incredible the so game good. Is good well cool do you want to move on to our main thing david yeah let's do it Welcome to Good Games. It's the segment where we talk about the oh, yeah. okayest trucks of yesteryear and <laughs> truck and truck all the thing that we love about them. They're on the trucks right now. We thought uh, for our 150th, we played uh, Farming Simulator for our 50th. Um, so why not do Truck Simulator for our 150th, you know? Sure. Yeah, it makes sense. I think that makes total sense. God, it's been a hundred weeks since then. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so bizarre. Doesn't feel That's right, strange. but yeah. Um, oh, hold on a second. Uh, I think my window's open. I'm, I'm hearing something out there. Oh, yeah, sure. Go and close it. Cool. David, can you hear that? Uh, I, I, my windows are closed. I, didn't, I don't know what that is. I, I kind of can hear it just a little bit. It sounds it sounds really weird. What is that? Yeah, you get some like some interference on your end? I guess. I don't... Yeah, I don't know. I Like, there's nothing in here that would... Wait, I, I see something, Dave. What do you see? It's coming for me. What? I can, I can hear its call. No, d- don't answer. I have to, David. Oh, 
Welcome to the truck dimension. Honk, honk. Honk, honk. We're different guys now. <laughs> Took over your podcast feed and now it's spooky time. What's, what, what's, what's your name? Truck themed version of Jace. I'm Chuck. <laughs> Chuck now. Just, ju- just, just Chuck? That's it? We, d- we don't need last names in the truckiverse. Oh, okay, then I'm <laughs> Daniel. Daniel. <laughs> that's a cool new guy. It's a dearly different guy than David, that's for sure. Normally during our Halloween episodes, this is for all you new listeners, normally during our Halloween episodes, we write spooky stories and then read them to each other. But uh, you're you're in the truck dimension now, so we, we, we have spooky stories that we're going to read about trucks. Yes. <laughs> The truck dimension. Hey. Did you hear that really normal sounding person just a second ago? <laughs> no. My, I'm hard of hearing. It's it's kind of a problem. Probably has some stupid ass name like Chase or something. Or something not nearly as cool as Chuck. <laughs> or or Daniel. <laughs> yeah, we got we got spooky stories. <laughs> We're gonna read some some truck themed spooky stories. <laughs> If 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 Chase and David is Chavid, would Chuck yeah. and Daniel be Chunyel? Ooh, Chunyel. I was gonna say Chaniel, but Chunyel is pretty good. <laughs> or Duck. <laughs> do you want to go first, or should I do? Either way, I don't know. I don't remember what we normally do with these spooky stories. Should I flip a coin? Yeah, flip flip one. Whoever gets it goes first. Okay, here we go. One, two, three. It's me. I'm David going. goes first. Uh, just to clarify, we wrote these. This is not. <laughs> We didn't like find these somewhere. I don't know if we said that. No, I found mine in a steaming pile of uh, interdimensional goo in my backyard. Yeah, that's fine too. But these these are OGs. So strap in for maybe some okay writing and maybe some not okay writing. Yeah, yeah. There there will be plot holes. So yes. Yeah. Most assuredly. Maybe some maybe some inconsistent characterization. Yeah, probably some poor dialogue along the way. We'll see. You know? Okay. Yeah, I'm ready. My The tale of my story is Eldritch Origins colon Truck Thulu. That makes sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. An alien sun rises on a distant planet in the faraway past. Young Trucky Tires was speeding down a roadway, all 18 of his wheels glistening and humming in perfect unison. The whole planet was open road, save for a handful of truck stops pitting the landscape. A true asphalt utopia for anyone with a V12, a set of tires, and a heart full of adventure. Dude, cars who? (laughs) Cars, cars who, truly. Trucky, however, was anxious this morning to see something other than asphalt. Something Mm. more grand, something more wondrous. You see, he wanted to be the first truck to touch his wheels to the great asphalt in the night sky. And he was about to get his wish. (laughs) On a planet full of trucks, Trucky stood Mm -hmm. alone as the most glorious of all. As he Mm. was the only one with 18 wheels of fully loaded 5,000 horsepower glory. (laughs) Vincent, Vincent, what? I was just going to say, so most of the other trucks are just regular trucks. He's the only like 18 wheeler. He's the only 18 wheeler. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's amazing. Vincent McDiesel, his fiercest rival at the (laughs) annual iron truck competition, only could boast 10 wheels and a paltry 2,000 horsepower. And he was only partially loaded. So really there was absolutely no comparison. (laughs) He had 20 golden tires from the truck Olympics, held the fastest Mm. time on all of the truck routes he had ever attempted, and boasted Mm -hmm. a sweet chrome finish to his custom flame and lightning paint job. (laughs) Truckee was kind of a big deal. 
TV show, cereal boxes, billboards, magazine covers, even a special album of old show tunes with a joyful seasonal flair. Trucky was <laughs> Dieseloid's sweetheart. Yeah, it was pretty great. But oh despite all his success, Trucky always yearned for more. Who wouldn't? Mm. More is always better, right? In his continued search for his next great conquest, Trucky began to look outward and upward to the stars, dreaming of being the first intergalactic trucking superstar. Trucky had been contacted by a group of researchers to push the limits of Trek technology to their zenith, and he jumped at the opportunity to spread Truckdom to the cosmos. With their technology and Trekkie's stardom, they would form a dream team of talent and star power that, pro- that would propel them all, not just to planetary stardom, but interstellar. Mm-hmm. After years of collaboration and hard work, countless failures and triumphs, today was the day that Truckie would become the first intergalactic trucker. Yeah. Fear, pride, joy, and excitement roiled around Truckie's undercarriage as he pulled into the lab. Heard y'all were looking for a truckstronaut? <laughs> Jesus, I'm surprised this is the first time I've heard his voice. <laughs> that's, that's his voice. Yeah, wow. The room erupted in laughter and good cheer. Truckie's mm-hmm. braggadocious greeting was truly classic Truckie and helped to yeah. relax the crew working diligently to prepare for his maiden voyage. <laughs> Everyone yeah. in the building turned and greeted Trucky with hearty laughs and toots of their horns. They seemed in good spirits <laughs> today for having such a dangerous and unknown mission ahead of them. Once, pleasant, once pleasantries had been exchanged, the trucks fell into unison. They worked efficiently and quickly, moving with a grace and precision that bellied their months of preparation. All 18 of Trucky's wheels were taken off and replaced with dark black wheels with bright red stripes around the edges. These weren't just super fly. They served a function. There were millions of tiny atomic spikes that could find traction within the void of space along those red stripes, allowing Trucky to move along the radiation and dark matter that filled the universe. Trucky was looking slick as hell, and he could feel the power of his new tires filling with a particularly intoxicating amount of vim and vigor. Mm. Those tires look pretty badass, my guy. Hope that they work <laughs> out work as good as they look, said a random technician. <laughs> Years of research had led to these 18 inventions, tires with the ability to find traction in the void of space. They'd only been proven to work experimentally, however, and today would serve as first voyage and first experiment. Oh my god. This is a rookie mistake. (laughs) I got a good feeling in my engine, engineer. We got this. (laughs) Trucky pulled up to the starting line and revved his engine, and when the green flag waved, he floored it. He let the full power of his engine go, blasting off the asphalt and up the tarmac. He could feel the magnets underneath him respond to his speed, to his power. He began to hum <laughs> rhythmically, pulsing with his tires and his whole chassis as he continued to gain speed. He smelt the asphalt beneath him begin to melt. His screws and bolts began to shake and strain. His tires oh felt God. as though they were tearing apart and imploding at the same time. And then all of those sensations stopped as the railgun runway sent him hurtling into space. <laughs> He kept revving his engine as fast as he could, thinking about his life journey, how he was born the best, the fastest, the most trucky, and how he wanted to continue to prove and show just how great he was. This moment was for him to show all of truck kind who the undisputed top truck was. He hit the stratosphere, (laughs) the mesosphere, the thermosphere, and then blasted straight through the exosphere into the vast cold depths of space. He was hauling ass, and Trucky still kept his engine blaring as fast as he could. 
He kept pushing and kept going faster. He wanted to push as hard as possible and go as fast as he could, blasting out of his own solar system. He continued to speed up, careening through space at sublight speed. He was a <coughs> glorious shining truck in the night sky of planets he passed, and a sudden apocalypse for planets he was not able to dodge. The speed oh and power God. was an intoxicating drug that Truckee had never dreamed possible. His whole body was tingling with euphoric speed and strength. He continued on his blast of the universe, plowing through anything and everything in his way, his 18 wheels of power not being able to be stopped by anything. His home, mm. his family, his life slowly faded away, and all he knew was speed. He <laughs> went and went until he could no further, and when he finally stopped to look around, he saw only destruction around him. He reveled in his victory, fully assured of his truck superiority at this point. He looked and saw one small blue planet with a small moon circling around it in the mm. distance. <laughs> he scoffed. Don't see how any life could ever survive there, as he thought fondly of, <laughs> of his asphalt home of Dieseloid. Mm. <laughs> he decided to give this planet a look, and as any good explorer would, he, he flew toward the planet, but began to feel strange. It felt as mm. though he was getting closer, but that the planet was getting farther away at the same time. Mm. He sped up, but no change came to his situation. <laughs> he tried to veer left or right, reverse, shift down, shift up, but still, no change. Chucky did a system check. Nothing seemed to be off. His <laughs> tires were sparkling as much as they had when he had left his planet. He still felt good. He had half a tank of gas still left. What was going on? He didn't know. Panic began to set in. Doubt about the tires, about his decision, and about the motivation for his whole endeavor, and maybe his whole life. Wow. The realization and recognition of his own mortality began to creep in. <laughs> and the sensation was sweet and resplendent for the being that had enveloped Truckee. However, the term being is used loosely here, as this entity defied traditional explanation. A mm. feeling as much as a, a corporeal body. All that can be said of it is that it scurried and snuck around Truckee from the start, stalking Ooh. him from the shadows and waiting <laughs> to pounce, observing his trek across the cosmos with great interest. This, en this entity recognized the power of Truckee, the power of a diesel engine, and 18 wheels of 5,000 horsepower, and was covetous, and decided to lay a trap. It ensnared him, and began, and began to meld part of its own consciousness with his. Images of rats filled with tentacles coursed across his mind, <laughs> as one word resonated amongst a din of high-pitched static. Check, 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 check. Truckee screamed as much as anyone or anything can scream in the void of space. He was hurled toward the planet, seething in pain, his whole body writhing as he crash-landed into a giant lake of water. He emerged in a new mangled form, half truck, half something else. Tentacles sprouted from his grill, and eyes replaced his mirrors. He was slender and long like a snake, but still kept the metallic sheen and feel of his truck body. He could slither like a snake and fly like a bat, crawl like a spider and run like a lion. He was everything and anything he wanted to be. He was Truck Thulu, a herald of Chet. That much was true. He knew at that moment what he must do on this primordial planet, and he made a burrow in a particular place, waiting for a particular time. He waited years, decades, eons. And when he heard the infant mewling of Henry Ford, Truck Thulu's engines began to rev. Honk, honk. 
that's it. It's very good. It's very good, David. <laughs> I forgot to mention at the beginning that you, uh, we had tasked you with writing Truck Thulu origin story. That's the origin. He was, he was a braggadocious truck from a, from a distant yeah. planet. And his, what was the planet's name again? Dieseloid. That's <laughs> very good. He just wanted to prove he was the best truck around. And his hubris he became did. his undoing. Yeah, I guess that is true. I love the power dynamic that Chet's like, like the the power rankings is is has Chet above him somehow. Oh yeah, Chet is Chet is the is the OG. Chet yeah, is like Chet old. is like a a cosmic force of energy. Yeah, the truest old god. Yes, the old one. Mm-hmm. And and Trucky has been uh, blessed by Chet with part of his consciousness, which warped him yeah. into Truck Thulu. <laughs> Amazing. Great story. I love that one. Uh, Thank you. Much funnier than I was expecting it to be. Had to put some levity in there. Yeah. Mine is spooky, David. It's spooky all the way through. <laughs> I'm ready for it. Okay. I'm ready um, for I'm, I'm ready for 3600 words of spooks. Yeah, it's coming for you. This one uh we we had tasked you with doing origins and me with just an encounter with with Truckville. So, yeah. That was it. Uh, you you ready for this? You ready for this spice? <laughs> I mean, mine mine makes sense to be a little bit more lighthearted than yours. Is just meeting Trucky at his Truckthuluiest. Yeah, yeah. This the spookiest form. Well, great. Uh, why don't Why don't we get going? Let's do it. The title of this story is the horn. The, <laughs> the horn. <laughs> oh man, I'm already scared. Our story begins on Chulurk Tut, a small moon knowing for containing some of the system's rarest fish. Way out here on the border of the known galaxy in the vast, cold, intergalactic space, one single R-wing descends on a poorly kept spaceport. It settles onto the water-soaked metal surface of port and finds itself now situated next to another R-wing. In stark contrast, though, this R-wing is draped in a coat of moss, rust, and general ill upkeep. Whoa. I told Falco to maintain that thing. <gasps> Fox McCloud steps oh onto the port landing, begins walking towards the port town, and pulls a hooded coat onto his head. Chulurk Tut is known for its big game, not its sunny days. Can you spell that? Uh, C-H-U space L-U-R-K space, space T-U-T. Mmm. Chulurk I wonder, Tut. I wonder what that is. Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> Fox strides into the mouth of the only market in town. The market is an open-air series of stalls with a mishmash of tarps laid over them, clearly an attempt at keeping the rain off the ground and away from the merchandise, but it hasn't worked. The earth below Fox adjusts slightly whenever he puts his full weight on it, the combination of mud and ocean spray trying to avoid the burden of a creature of his stature. Mm. The displays set up along each side of Fox offer him wares unknown. Tiny trinkets glean up at the now-dampened spacefarer, tempting him to purchase a souvenir for a place he has already grown tired of. Mm. Either the water is particularly aggressive, or these trinkets have been here a while, as they now look like they are aging into being antiques. Fox, you made it! Fox McCloud turns his body and spots the man he was looking for. Falco Lombardi takes a few small steps towards Fox and offers a wing for him to shake. Fox produces a faint smile and does so. Shake shake his hand. That, that sense doesn't make any sense. Fox produces a smile and shakes his hand. Falco used to be a more confident man. The Mm. difference in demeanor is immediately clear. His chest lower than it was, an arch in his back, and a tentativeness in his gait. 
but truth be told, they've both changed. It's been years since the team split up, and Fox was sure that what was on Falco's mind was how far the great Fox McCloud has fallen, hmm. reduced to taking on some side hustles in a forgotten corner of the galaxy. With Andros gone, though, who needs an ace pilot? Fishing seemed beneath him, but Bills needed paying more than Fox needed his pride. Hmm. At least they did now. Hmm. I'm glad you came, man. There's been a lot of chatter about some really valuable catches that have been popping up recently. Big boats, tiny boats, everything seems to be getting bites out there. I think you're going to love it. Fox let go of Falco's wing and steps back to look around the market. I hope you're right about the valuable part, Falco. I never much like my fur staying wet all day. Cockpits usually don't flood. Falco forms a tired smile. You get used to it. Hey, we can take a load off on my boat. We just need to pick up some supplies before we do. Follow me. Falco slips between the few hooded people meandering along the market with the deafness of someone who has done this before. He knows this place, and Fox can't decide if that's impressive or demoralizing. Falco stops at a stall that seems to be selling bait and tackle and starts telling the hunched vendor what he needs. Fox's mind drifts. He closes his tired eyes for a moment and tries to imagine a sunnier location, free of the stench of this place. He sees his cockpit, as it was, not as it is. Pristine condition. The communications array lighting up with friends, coworkers, business, a life. Mm. He tilts this illusion up and tries to invent a sky to see. The first image that greets him is a familiar one. Space. Mm. He's spent so much time up there, so many years, that it's like a sibling he's grown to know. Although for all the time he's spent in space, he still doesn't much care for it. Mm. The void is cold, relentless, unknowable, and unforgiving. His R-wing has provided him safety for all of his life, but... As he knows as well as anyone else, he's only a few inches from a place where life cannot exist. He feels the temperature around his arms drop and a dull hum play in the back of his head. Not dramatically, but enough that he notices. It's an old sense that he isn't used to using. In his prime piloting years, whenever a chill wrapped around his finger, he reflexively checked his six. It wasn't always the case that someone was there, but it has saved his ass enough times that his body knew to check before his brain did. Fox's eyes flip open and peeks behind him. Nothing. No other ships, no other people, just more market and more ocean water. His R-wing had begun to call false alarms on its indicators in recent years, too. Looks like everything is just getting old. Falco begins exchanging what Fox assumes is money, but he can't really be sure. He trusts his old friend enough, though, so his attention drifts away again. As he does, a meager arm jolts out from the stall he's leaned on and grabs Fox's forearms. Sir, a moment, please. Hmm. Not interested. Sorry. <laughs> oh, fear not. I'm not here to sell you something. I'm here to offer you a chance. I'm also not a man of salvation, so I think you might be out of luck. Oh, the grip Fox. around Fox's... <laughs> Godless Fox doesn't <laughs> believe in Jesus. Godless um, Fox sounds like an MGS character. Sorry, continue. That's absolutely, yeah, no, totally <laughs> true. Um... The grip around Fox's arm tightens as he adjusts his body towards this person. He's unclear if this is going to turn ugly, but best to be ready anyway. No harm intended, friend. Just a piece of advice. Free of charge. Fox says, fine. Go ahead. The grip on his arm loosens slightly. I see that you're new here in town and wanted to introduce you to one of our oldest piece of, pieces of advice. It comes in the form of a poem. Fox decides that he is already regretting not walking away. <laughs> the small creature clears its voice and says, A labor of love, Chu Lurk Tut. To make a home here takes a bit of a gut. To survive is to follow the rule. Ignore the warnings is pitifully cruel. Our land is damp, 
our sky a shade, our soil barren, and our eyesights fade. But dry your boots, bring a light, fish the sea, and grow fond of night. But one warning stands above all others. Tell your friends and tell your brothers. If your mind is something that you would mourn, then close your ears and escape the horn. Whoa. That was a great poem. <laughs> that was so good. Thank you. There's a pause as Fox tries to digest the words he had no desire to hear in the first place. He speaks with a bit of a downer, no? The figure retracts its rubbery hand from Fox's arm. Some have said that before, but in a place such as this, a bit of a sad poem is just the thing the soul needs. Good luck with your fishing, friend. Before Fox can ask how the figure knew about the fishing expedition, Fox is left alone again. What a welcoming party. Falco turns to Fox and with a wet burlap sack of fishing gear and says, Follow me, Fox! Fox and Falco spend the next few hours gearing up what Falco calls his fishing boat and Fox would call a floating garbage can. They launch the boat into the harbor to drift for the evening, away from prying eyes. The two of them finally find some rest in the belly of the boat. Falco lays on his own tight cot while Fox has found the best corner of the floor to lay out a blanket. Fox wonders how long it's been since he's landed. The orbital period of this moon means that it never sees any significant sunlight. Falco, attempting to break the silence, says, You know, I really think this job will set us up for a long time. He pauses before speaking again. Listen, I I know things have been weird the past few years, but just trust me on this one. I I, I think a lot of things are going to get better soon. Fox doesn't shift how he's laying down, instead opting to placate. I know, Falco. I hope you're right. The two drift off to sleep without speaking another word, the soft rock of the boat in the harbor offering a soothing song to the tired soul. Fox is in his R-wing. The engines are cold. Mm. He opens his eyes and is staring up at the same plot of space he's seen before, time and time again. Mm. His arms go cold and the same low droning hum reappears, staccato this time. On, off for a moment, and then on again. He looks down at the visual indicator, looking for signs of enemies on his tail. The radar looks busted. The readout doesn't make sense. It's showing an enemy behind him, but also above and below. And the sizes of it don't make sense either. He's flown for long enough to know that they don't build ships that big. Even Andros wasn't a fraction of the size that whatever is on his readout. Hmm. Fine, the old-fashioned way. He cranes his neck to try and catch a glimpse of the area behind him. Over the unforgiving void is the only thing that meets him. Dark, infinite, and cold. Though he tries to make out something that lurks behind it. Something else that sits below. It's the first time he's had this thought. Like the fabric of space is the surface of the ocean, hiding secrets from prying eyes. He's hit with a sudden urge to flip his engines to their fully open positions and leave. However, he's also struck with the same fear that he experiences when facing down a predator. Too much sudden sudden movement, and it's got an opening. If you turn and take off into a sprint away from the wolf that's hunting you, it knows you're scared. Knows that you can't fathom fighting it, so escape is your only recourse. Only he isn't sure what direction is away. He feels eyes on him from every direction. A dim light appears at the edge of his perception, and the low hum he's heard before inches closer to being near. The horn. The warning. He has to leave, and he has to go now. Like muscle memory, he flips every knob and dial to let his engines burn whatever they've got left and get out. Mm -hmm. He feels the G-force push his body into the pilot chair, but he isn't moving. 
Every sense he has is telling him he's running, but the ship isn't going anywhere. This is familiar. Similar. Um, (laughs) What does happen, though, is his ship begins to unravel. Piece by piece, it shatters like in slow motion, and he's left in the void, staring up at two blinding lights coming right at him. Fox jolts awake. His head is pounding and his stomach aches. Fox feels around on his body, making sure the expected parts are where they need to be. He seems to be fine, although his facial whiskers are longer than he remembers, like he forgot to trim them. But it's been, what, eight hours? He looks around the cabin and doesn't see Falco in eyeshot. He must be outside. Fox ambles towards the door and opens it to another sunless, rainy day. Fox sees that they must have traveled quite some distance from the dock since morning because he can't spot anything other than the edges of the boat, the sky above, and his friend with a fishing rod dipped into the water. How long was I out? Fox says, his throat more hoarse than he had expected. Not long, a couple hours. I feel awful. Well, the lack of food isn't helping. I wish we'd taken more with us, but I didn't expect we'd be out here so long. But I think we're close to something big. I can feel it. Stunned for a moment, Fox attempts to correct the record. What do you mean so long? That was an evening, Falco. You're telling me we ran out of food over the course of an evening? Falco turns slowly. Fox sees nearly an unfamiliar and borderline feral face staring back at him. It's Falco, but it looks like he's been through hell. That's not Falco. It's been months, Fox. Did you hit your head? I know we aren't eating great, but you shouldn't be losing it quite yet. Fox's head spins. They just left. He tries to focus on any memory of the time Falco claims that they've been on this boat, and he manages to concoct some things he think could have happened, but his mind swims trying to sift out if those are memories or just something he made up. Falco can't know about this. Fox always had to have his head on a swivel when things got bad, so he opts instead to try and focus on catching something to eat. Maybe with some food in his belly, he'll be able to think this out clearly. Fox plops down in a chair, opposite Falco and takes up the rod himself. The air is humid and dense, as if fighting to not be breathed. Fox finds himself staring at the water, cursing it for mixing with the oxygen, and still no bites. Fox's eyes eventually unfocus, he stares without looking, trying to see just beyond. The headache he woke up with is now less dull and much sharper, and his body is revolting. It wants to leave this mistake of a place and go somewhere else, get a better grasp on whatever's happening, and go anywhere else. After hours of trying to stamp down his natural instincts, Fox rises and walks towards Falco. Hey man, I I think this isn't working out the way we hoped. I think we should talk about going back to shore. No response. Falco, I, I know this was your great plan and all. I just... As Fox touches his shoulder, the coat Falco was wearing crumples onto the floor, leaving nothing behind. He's gone. Oh my God. Falco? Fox calls out. <laughs> Still no answer. Fox tries to focus his ears, listen to hear if his friend is overboard, struggling to swim, but no, the silence here is overwhelming. Fox swears he can hear himself breathe, hear the fabric on his shirt creating friction on itself, hear the twin suns coming over the horizon. He pauses. That's not right. This moon doesn't get any sun, let alone two suns. He looks at the horizon line and his eyes protest. They don't want to see this. The hum in his head returns and his face gets faster. What is this? He whispers. But the possible answer to that question demanded leaves leaves him feeling a little unwell. Fox rushes back into the cabin of the boat, looking for some recourse. A blaster, a spear, any implement to combat what's about to happen. 
To his surprise, he sees Falco. Near the corner of the room, body pointed towards the wall, head pointed towards the ground. Falco, hey! Fox rushes over to his former co-pilot and tries to rouse him from his stupor. As he gets closer, he can see that Falco's eyes are as wide as they can be, with pupils dilated, not breaking eye contact with the planks of the floor. Falco, something's bad is happening and I think we have to leave. Softly, as if trying not to wake someone, Falco just repeats, No, just a little longer. I think something big is coming our way. No, just a little longer. I think something big is coming our way. No, Fox pushes away and rifles through Fal Falco's things, looking for some means of defense. What he finds is an old war blaster. Anything to try and mount some offense. The door of the cabin slams open and a blinding white light breaches in. Fox winces, scrambling away from the door. He points Falco's weapon towards the entry and tries to wait for someone to do something or someone to come through the door. After a moment, a blue feathered and hooded creature strolls into the door. Fox's eyes dart back to the corner where Falco still stands, murmuring to himself. His eyes return to the person in the doorway, now halfway between him and the door. He stretches out a wing, as if offering to help Fox up. Fox lets off a few rounds of the blaster into whatever is standing before him. The figure receives the blast without rescinding its hand. It pulls off the brown hood it was using to cover its face. Falco's now blaster-pelted eyes are staring back at him. Come with me, the figure says. Fox rises and doesn't make any sudden movements. The predator in front of him sits in wait trying to ascertain if Fox will run, in which case he can chase, or if Fox will fight. Fox tries for a third option. He lets off a few blaster rounds into the figure and tries to dart past it. He manages to get past the creature, but it lands him in the doorway. His body is screaming. The light here is horrible, and he is bathed in its unholy rays. Oh my God. Fox tries to open his eyes just slightly to assess the danger that is now pressing against every fiber of himself. There are two suns on the horizon, yes, but behind it there is another figure. The one that's been trying to pierce through the void. The monster under the water. The creature lurking in space. He doesn't have words for it. He's not sure anyone does. Briefly, concepts of gods, demons, and devils flash through his mind, but they feel as if he's brought a toy sword to a shooting war. The ideas don't properly capture the terror he is witnessing. The size, the shape, the form of the figure behind the void pains Fox to even see. The unwritten rules of life in the universe and the stars now made into material profanity. Nothing in his life has offended Fox like this. It's repulsive to every sense he has known, and even some that he is not. The last thing Fox sees is the figure charging across space towards the surface of this moon, towards him and this boat the two suns growing larger like two iridescent bulbs on a vehicle. He can hear it, the horn, honking, <laughs> shouting at him to get out of the way. But Fox is rendered immobile. The light's becoming blinding, and Fox can only feel for a moment the sensation of the boat being lifted out of the water to somewhere else. One single R-wing descends on a poorly kept spaceport. It settles onto the water-soaked metal surface and finds itself now situated next to two other R-wings. In stark contrast, though, these R-wings are draped in a coat of moss, rust, and general ill upkeep. I told those boys to maintain those dang R-wings. Oh, Peppy. Peppy Hare steps onto the port landing <laughs> Run away, <Peppy>. and begins, <laughs> begins walking towards the port town and pulls a hooded cloak onto his head, his two friends waiting for him in the market. Man. That's it. 
They coming after the Fox boys. Yeah, man, the they, gotta, <laughs> they gotta get them. Gotta get them. Damn, that was Spooky. scary as fuck. <laughs> yeah, it was quite frightening. I like kind of just go with it whenever I'm writing and I like got the end. I was like, there was like no jokes in there. That was just scary. You need to go like, you need, you need to get some therapy, Chase. What's, what's lurking in that <laughs> mind right now that needs to write that shit? I was particularly proud of the unwritten rules of life, the universe, and the stars now made into material profanity. I mean, yeah, I really liked good. that. that was pretty <laughs> I really good. liked that one. Damn. Anyway. Yeah, an encounter with Truckthulu. An encounter with, with the Truckthulu himself. Knee Trucky Tires. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very fun that yours uh, was so happy-go-lucky, and then just a single encounter with Truckthulu after that uh, story is horrifying in a terrible <laughs> way. <laughs> Mine's happy-go-lucky until, like, the last quarter. And then it's... Yeah, 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 yeah. And then it's it's bad. And things are bad. Yeah, I think it's profane. Offensive to the senses. Mm-hmm. That was good. That was good, yeah, man. Thank you. That was fun. Well done. Well trucked. Those are the stories we got. I hope I hope you enjoyed them. I hope <laughs> I hope they tickled your Chuck Thulu. It's a really weird episode, I will say. <laughs> to do like forty five minutes of Tears of the Kingdom and then this. And then an hour of Truck Thulu. <laughs> yeah. You know? Had to do something for 150. Had to do it to him one time. Anyway, that's... Uh, the, you're now exiting the truck dimension. Goodbye. Signing out. This is Chuck and Daniel. See ya. See, Smell see you later. <laughs> Rev you later, dude. Rev you later. Well, that was weird. Yeah, we're 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 back. I guess so. We did that last segment, right? Yeah, we talked about truck simulator. Yeah. Trucking trucking simulator? We've been doing this. Yeah, we did. I, I've just been doing this podcast some, so long sometimes that like the, the segments just go by like they're nothing. They blend together. It's true. Anyway, um, <laughs> if you want to do anything at the Podtimism, you can talk to us on the internet. If you go to Podtimism.com, it has our email or Twitter account and a bunch of other cool stuff for cool dudes. <laughs> um, you can see what games we've played. You can suggest a game. We got we got a couple more of those recently. So thanks thanks y'all for um, uh, tossing your submissions in there. We always appreciate it. the The list grows ever longer, uh, and we will play them. We we will play those games. Let's see if you want to help out the show. There's a couple things you can do. First of which is to review it on like Apple Podcast or Spotify or something like that. It's uh, quite a bit easier on Spotify than Apple Podcast, but you know those both of them count. So it's all good. Thank you for doing that. Mm -hmm. If you do that, the other thing you can do is to tell a friend about the show and be like, Hey, you are into short form storytelling and trucks and tears of the kingdom. I don't know what compelled me to say that last thing. It's been a long time (laughs) since we did our Halloween episode, (laughs) but uh, anyway, uh, yeah, you can, you can tell them about this episode and be like, Hey, it was a good time. They just hit 150. It's a lot of episodes of podcast. You got a lot of backlog. If you're looking for like, I need something to listen to. Yeah. So you can do that. And we appreciate you doing that. So thank you. Thank you, Scott Wilkinson, for your work on our podcast art. Mm-hmm. Crushing it. Crushing it. Also, thank you for your work on our Truckthulu art. Yeah. Which inspired. We're, we're really glad you made. It definitely hasn't opened any portal dimensions. So that's really cool. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Scout. Also, uh, for the third episode in a row, go listen to Paws and Claws, her new podcast. It's good. Mm-hmm. Also, thank you, listener, for listening to this podcast. 
we appreciate you dearly and uh we're happy you're here it's amazing truly thank you for uh for being here it's mm-hmm. it's humbling and very cool so thanks we we appreciate your presence in in many ways absolutely david do you have any gaming wisdom for me i do um i don't know i don't know why this is my gaming wisdom of the week but it just kind of came to me yeah i don't don't go fishing yeah sometimes it, you might pull something up that you're not expecting it's not it's not you don't you don't need to do it you don't need to do it <laughs> it's not good for you yeah like overfishing is a problem. Overfishing like, is a real problem right now. Make sure that you go to like a sustainable fishing farm if you want to fish. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That would be pretty sick. If you want to eat fish, make sure it's like sustainably caught and all that jazz. Yeah. Uh, but like fishing, two thumbs down. Yeah. You also like, like you, you don't know what's going on over there just below the surface of the water. I mean, no one knows. It's true. There's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, overfishing going on underneath there with big old nets. That's what's going on. Yeah, you might find something terrifying. Might find something real scary. If your mind is something you'd mourn, then close your ears and escape the horn. The poem was so good. <laughs> Thank you. The poem was so good. I was shook by the poem. Okay, see see you see you next week, truckers. <laughs> Keep on trucking. Keep on trucking. Bye. Bye. Bye.